0: Hello? LC, this is Don Gale with the State Bureau investigation. I'm gonna tell you something, Don Gale. Zero out of sixty in two
1: seconds. Attorney. Yeah. You gonna quit spreading f- lies and rumors that you've been spreading around about me.
2: I'm tired of it and I take f- no more, Don. name is Sherry Wilson. This is Outline of a Murder, the Smart True Crime Podcast. Hi, I'm Elena. And I'm Mom. So this is our very first podcast ever. And I want to share the story of how, you know, this all came to to pass, I guess you would say, because probably, I think it was a year ago, I called you um, after the gym and said, hey, I want to do a true crime podcast. And my original idea was cruises, like crimes on cruises. Remember? Yes, I do. And goodness, (laughs) a little exuberant there. And uh, so I immediately start, you know, digging, and it's really hard to find like information on cruise murders, you know, because there's so many factors involved. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work. And so I was brainstorming. Well, anyway, I have to tell you, Elena, I had no idea you liked true crime as much. And so when I mentioned to you the idea, maybe not as much. Yeah, not as
1: much as y'all. Right. Y'all live and breathe the murder.
2: Yes. I I do like it, though. So when I mentioned it to you, you're like, that would be so much fun. So here we are, two daughters and a mom doing a true crime podcast. And, of course, you're our mom, not a mom. Like I didn't pick you (laughs) up off the street. (laughs) Good to know. Just in case you are wondering. <laughs> and uh, so, but then it was like, okay, what? Like, I don't want it to be like any true crime podcast. You know, I want it to um, have a function. I want it to have a purpose. I want it to help people. And so this true crime, you know, case that we're going to talk about today actually kickstarted it. And I was watching um, a show, Dead of Winter, Season 2, Episode 2, called uh, Cold Blue. And I don't want to go into all the story because obviously we're going to go through it. But what fascinated me in the story is how this lady could not fathom the killer to be the killer and why, which we'll get into. And all of a sudden it hit me, why not do a true crime on the the personality aspect, the psychology, like break down the crime and figure out, okay, why did this lady stay with him or why did this man stay with her or how can you protect yourself and keep yourself safe you know because there's people that are very trusting out there and so once I saw that and passed on to you guys we we knew that's the direction we would go and I think you especially liked that idea Elena because Mm -hmm. it's like let's let's help people in the process yeah and you're really good at personalities and such too yeah
1: so I figured it'd be interesting
2: yeah So I'm excited. Um, So we're going to tell the story, but also, like I said, break it down. Now, of course, none of us, you know, sitting here are obviously psychiatrists, psychologists, nor law enforcement. But just, you know, being true crime, I think my very first true crime book I Uh, read was when I was like 14, 15 years old. I remember going on the road with dad and I would read um, true crime and then we'd discuss it, you know, which is very interesting discussing true crime in the middle of the night in a semi-truck, you know, (laughs) it's a little bit creepy. Um, Which one stood out to you? Bundy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's another one I'd like to get into maybe in season two and that's Ramirez, the killer over in California. Yes. Yeah, I want to get into him because I've never really studied his story. But Bundy is fascinating to me, which we're going to have at part one and two on him later in the season. But we are true crime. I guess you would call us students. And so, um, you know, I don't want to uh, put any professional advice or anything out there like that. But I think we can break it down and kind of discuss how people find themselves in situations. Mm -hmm. So... Let's go ahead and dive in. So our story begins in the winter of 1993 in Salisbury or Salisbury, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, North Carolina, located in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Have y'all ever been there? No, no I haven't. Oh, it's beautiful. And Kay Whedon, she's a schoolteacher, and her new boyfriend of about six weeks, his name was Victor Gunnison, and he was a handsome Swede. And he, uh, they had just finished their date and they were discussing their plans for in the morning. Now it's in the dead of winter and it was a little bit before Christmas. And so they had made plans the next morning. They were going to get together with her, I believe, son and then go look for Christmas trees. How did she meet him? I'm not sure how she met him, but I do know that right off the bat, there were sparks. Like, they, they liked each other, and it was moving pretty fast. I think at this point, they'd only been dating maybe five or six weeks. And uh, they kissed each other goodnight. He left. And then the next morning, she kept waiting for him, and she didn't hear from him. And she's like, you know, you can tell, like, from the show, when I first watched it, she thought maybe she had done something wrong or... Maybe he had changed his mind. Like it never entered her mind, something was wrong. She just thought, gosh, did we have a fight? You know, and I missed it. Uh, So she tried calling him several times. There was no answer. And she spent the next four to five days calling him. And she was baffled. She couldn't figure out what was going on. No, because again, they'd only known each other like five or six weeks. And I think I probably would have maybe thought the same thing. Maybe I made him mad, but I do think that maybe after a day or two, I would start wondering if he is okay. I mean, what do you all think? I
1: would I would probably have just taken it as rejection. Okay. Yeah, Okay. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, me, I'd be like, well, probably because we do watch so much true crime. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, right. I'd be like, so, something's wrong here. And uh, so she could never get a hold of him. It was a mystery to her, and she was pretty sad about it. She thought, you know, I really liked him, and I guess it didn't work out. Well, the uh, next morning after—well, not the next morning, but a few days later, um, she had gone to work. It was December 9th, and she got uh, a call from her mother's boss uh, Mr. Paul Brown and a co-worker, and the, and the co-worker was a friend of her mother's, and they came to get her because they could not get a hold of her mom, and her mom did not show up to work. And uh, she was worried because her mother was very faithful to show up to work or to call if she wasn't feeling well. So they all knew something was wrong. This was a something's wrong. And, of course, I'm sure she thought maybe she fell or, you know, maybe had a heart attack, something like that. So there's no way her mother wouldn't be, able, wouldn't be at work and she would have called in. So the sheriff's uh, uh, office already had some officers waiting for her. And so they get her um, to the house uh, because they couldn't get in. They didn't have a key. So they come and get her. The officers are waiting at her mom's house for her to uh, come up with the, the key. And who called the officers? the co-worker and her boss and she didn't have a key with her so they had to take her to her house which was just blocks away she gets the key and um she also on the way uh, when she went into the house to get her key she called her ex-boyfriend Elsie underwood uh, because he was a cop and she called and said hey something's going on here uh and he's like okay well let me know um no she left a message and said hey something's wrong with my mom and then she got in the car with the cop and they went down to her mother's house was it her ex-boyfriend or the mom's ex-boyfriend sorry it was Case, the daughter okay. okay yeah and so she walked to the door that went directly into the kitchen and she noticed that the storm door wasn't locked and her mother always always kept it locked and uh and even for a stranger you know or a, a like a person she knew she'd open it, but for a stranger she'd keep it locked and talk to him through the screen. So I don't know if the deputies went in first. I'm sure they did, because that's probably a protocol if they're doing a wellness check, you know. I'm not sure who went in first. Um, but they did. And I hope she did not go in first and see her mom. Because when the deputies went in, they found seventy-seven-year-old Katherine Miller shot in the head twice, execution style. And at first it looked like a robbery. So things were knocked off the table, uh, drawers were open, but two things stood out to the investigators right off the bat. Number one, she'd never opened the door to a stranger ever. Like even if they tried to convince her, she wouldn't have done that. Number two, her valuable things weren't stolen, which to me is weird. Like if you're, if you're there to kill someone and you're trying to make it look like a crime, why the heck don't you take valuable things? It's like Crime 101, wouldn't you think? They're not
1: of sound mind, though, at that point. They're not thinking rationally, unless it's way premeditated.
2: That's true. That's true. It's just you see it all the time on crime shows. Or someone could have spooked them off. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I just find it interesting that it's like all the time cops can tell that it wasn't, the motive was not yeah. the burglary because they don't take valuable things, yeah. but the, the ones where they actually do, even though that wasn't the motive, it takes them a while to figure it out. So it probably is they're nervous and, or they got spooked and they just didn't take the, the valuable stuff. But style. she didn't
0: see her mother like that. I
2: hope not. I don't know that it didn't tell in the show, you know, like who went in first. I'm assuming protocol would be police. Mm-hmm. So they believe the scene was staged and her killing almost seemed like a hit, you know. So there was no there was no struggle, just two shots in the head. And she was slumped against the kitchen wall by her stove. And so so then they're like, okay, what on earth could be the motive? Because as you can see, this is her uh, on the screen. Um, This is her and her daughter, Kay. So Kay is the one that um, opened the door for the police. And so this is probably closer to her age. I mean you can see she just seems like a like a strong lady. Like you could tell by her features, she looks right. like a strong uh lady but also a sweetheart. And I mean I just a smile. smile. Yeah. Yeah. And um so no enemies. I mean they just could not figure out who on earth would want to kill a 77-year-old execution cell.
0: No sign of struggle or none.
2: Not in front, not the back. Yeah. Front right. I mean just mm-hmm. and then a headshot. Two times. Know. Yeah. And that's not easy. Right. So, uh, and I don't I mean not that we know.
0: Right. <laughs> well, we're, well you know. me
2: and you do shoot, and it's not easy to get a headshot, you know. Yeah. So, um, anyway, now police immediately, of course, question Kay because not that she was a suspect, but they're like, okay, is there anything weird going on in your mother's life? Does she have any enemies? Um, you know, they're trying to figure out, is there any suspect whatsoever?
0: I would think everyone's a suspect at
2: that point. Right. Right. Including her, her her son, who was a Mm -hmm. teenager at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but her, uh, her mother didn't have any enemies. And what is weird though, is Kay and her son, Jason had been getting threatening letters. So she was getting anonymous letters and the detective, uh, the head detective Dan Gale um, said they were threatening in nature. They're, they were eerie and they were scary. The How letters. Where were they getting those? I don't know. I don't think it said. And then on top of that, she had no idea why she was getting them. It was like all of a sudden, out of the blue, she starts getting these letters, and she didn't report them or anything. She just thought they were, you know, maybe prank. But she did keep them. She did she gave keep them, them. To the police. Yes. Yes.
1: How would you not report those though? Especially if they were eerie, threatening. I would definitely right. report those. I so would. She you? was obviously. I mean, she seems to be really naive.
2: In the the show, she was, and she seemed. Ex- she or seemed trusting, like. Trusting,
1: I should say. Yeah,
2: trusting and naive could be you know both words would be fitting. Uh, sweetheart of a lady. Yeah. And you know, people like her don't think suspiciously yeah unlike us (laughs) um and and so yeah she thought they were weird they did unsettle her but what was even stranger is they were also threatening her son oh no and she's like who on earth would be threatening me and my son like the son was weird because she was just a teen you know he was just a teenager then things got even weirder did she have an ex-husband it they didn't say Um, now she did make the phone call to her ex-boyfriend, so of course the police are, you know, wondering, okay, who is this ex-boyfriend? What's his role in her life right now? But it didn't say if she had any ex-husbands, but she did have her son and she was a single mother. So obviously there was a father in the picture, but he didn't come into the story at all. So he probably was eliminated right off the bat. Okay, so things got weird after this even more. So she's dealing with the death of her mother. And then one night her son Jason was asleep and they heard a loud pow. And he said it sounded like a two by four hit the side of the house. And so he sat straight up, he yelled for his mom and he thought it sounded like a gun. I mean, to him, it was a gun and, uh, they called the police. Sure enough, someone had shot through his bedroom wall. Uh, and, uh, from outside the, the bullet went through the wall inches from his head and then they found it uh, in his room I think maybe in a dresser drawer I can't remember but they found the bullet and so um when her son was sharing about that happening that night you could see like now he's you know probably in his 40s you know and he was still impacted by it yeah and um you know I mean here he's got his grandmother's killed now someone's shooting in his bedroom how long, long after he had, right. How it long after It wasn't long after, after at all. It wasn't long at all now. I don't think the show said whether it was weeks or days, but it was not months. It was like pretty soon afterwards. So, of course, the police are like, okay, something's going on here with the family. There's something going on. So, um, the fear he felt, I can't imagine. So, you know, we've got the mother, the grandma is gone. Um, the letters have been coming, and now her son's being shot at. Well, oh, I did put this in my notes. The police did find the bullet in his sock drawer, but they just left after. But no suspects at all? No suspects. Here her son's getting shot at. They didn't help her. They didn't give her suggestions on safety. They just collected the evidence and left.
1: I'm wondering if they thought that maybe the son was up to some shenanigans or something
2: he was asleep you know no i mean
1: like he was the target went after the grandmother now him
2: maybe he had upset someone that's true and so I i don't
0: know
2: it could be because and then did they even know about her mother's death um it seemed like a small enough town where they would know But uh, I didn't think about that. Just, you know, a kid, probably, you know, some other kids messing with them. But to me, that's pretty serious. And, you know, I love law enforcement, but I was definitely irritated at this point. I'm like, you've got a single mom whose mother has been killed, her son's been shot at, and you don't give her police protection or at least some suggestions. A possibility, too, would be that son was on drugs. It could have been drug-related. They might have thought that, but he was not doing drugs at the time, but they could have thought that, and yeah, they're not gonna take sure. his word. Yeah. Okay, so then it gets even more interesting. Um, so this was December. So we have December 9th, her mom is killed. So now we're January seventh, nineteen ninety four. It's almost a month later. And no leads. No leads. Still no leads, no leads, leads at all. Yeah, they Still have no, no, no suspects idea. Mom. No suspects. Right. <laughs> right. You're wanting that suspect. Right. I do. I do. Now, before I get into the next murder, um, you know, at this point, Kay is really scared. So, she contacts her ex-boyfriend, Elsie, again, and he comes over to her house and, you know, be a, and I think at this point he was no longer a cop, but he came with rubber gloves and tweezers and he examined the threatening letters so she either had them back or you know the lead t- investigator dan uh, didn't take them uh, with him i'm not sure but anyway he comes over he's got the tweezers he examines the letters himself um he couldn't find anything in them he, he you know he's like he's baffled as well as to who could be sending these letters now he did offer to speak to the police on her behalf you know, to try to get some help, get some protection. Well, then she started getting phone calls. So now, you know, we've got all this that's going on. And then she's getting these phone calls where no one said anything. It was just weird, creepy, deep breathing. And so she's being stalked. you know, at this point. She's being stalked, but she doesn't know what's going on. And don't forget, she still has no idea where Victor went. That's what I was going to ask. Now, he was um, an immigrant from Sweden, so, you know, maybe she thought he went back to his own country. I don't know, which, by the way, in our after-show combo, we're going to have an interesting um, talk about him. So, um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay, so, 100 miles away from Salisbury, January 7th, uh, Detective Paula May was radioed to a body discovered on Blue Ridge Parkway and I have been on Blue Ridge Parkway with my dad. It's gorgeous. It's over by Hendersonville and is it Anderson? I can't remember the, the other name but it's like this gorgeous place. So on Blue Ridge Parkway you're like going around and there's these just trees for miles and they look blue. I mean, it's like carpet; like you could walk on them. And uh, I love that area of North Carolina, and so uh, it's a gorgeous place. But anyway, they find this body hidden well, in a grave. Uh, it, he was covered in snow because you know it's in the middle of winter. And she, you know she gets to this scene; it's a naked body, so he's naked in the middle of nowhere. Um, snow's covering him. Part of his foot had been chewed off by small animals. So he'd been there for a little bit, and he'd been shot twice. In the head? One was at the left temple, and then the other was the right side of the neck. That's weird. That's what Paula, Detective Paula, said. (laughs) She said, that's really weird. And a body in the middle of nowhere that's naked, like, where's his clothes? How did he get out there? They pretty much knew it was a murder because there was no weapon near him. He obviously wouldn't be shooting himself (laughs) twice. (laughs) And uh, so back at the department, they found a missing person's report. And they thought it could be uh, their victim. And his name was Victor Gunnison. Oh, so, oh, no. Let me show you a picture of him. This is him right here. <laughs> oh, no. The, the mustache yes. that yes. And, you know, this is early 90s. He looks like a friendly fella. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, sure enough, it's him. That's a lot of hair. Yes, he did have a lot of hair. And uh well, what did they connect him with the other? Well, they did because in the missing persons report, Kay Whedon's name comes up as the last person to see him. Oh. So now I'm wondering, okay, is she becoming a suspect? Right. You know, her mom dies her and now her son. boyfriend. Yeah. So I don't know um if she was a suspect i'm assuming she probably was or at least they're going to check her out um but it seems like she must have uh, eventually talked to the police about victor being gone or um maybe the landlord or someone uh, said that he would that she was the last person that victor was with i'm not sure but her name is in the report and he had disappeared remember on december 3rd or 4th uh, the landlord reported him missing December 15th. So now oh. we have K is a link. Okay. The landlord so there was been like two weeks worth of time. Where he's missing and they can't find him. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, I thought that the landlord last saw him on the 15th, reported him.
2: Reported gotcha. him. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No. And somehow it got in the report that Kay was the last person to see him alive. So I don't know if Kay also called the police or if the landlord said talk to his girlfriend. That was the last time. And the mom was killed during those two weeks. Mm -hmm. So he disappears. They don't know if it was the 3rd or the 4th because it might have been like midnight, 1 o'clock or something, Mm -hmm. you know. So it might have been the 4th. And then on the ninth is when they get the call that her mother did not show up to work. Okay. And then they discover his body uh, January 7th.
0: I wonder... If the landlord and him were friends. I don't know. It's unusual for a landlord mm-hmm. to report
2: yeah. a tenant missing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean if I wouldn't even know if our tenant was gone for no two weeks. So that's a good a good point. And they said that he was really nice. Victor was really, really nice. Yeah. He was suspected as an assassin though. Um, what do you mean? Which We'll get to that. That's a cliffhanger. That's a cliffhanger. Oh, oh, we'll I'm get to that later. <laughs> that I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited. Hurry up. Okay, so now we've got two detectives, Dan Gill and Paula, and they're now talking. They know that Kay Weeden is the link. Mm-hmm. She's she's the the center of this thing with the threatening letters. The threatening letter suggests to them that this is someone that's been intimate with Kay. You know, it's either a friend, it's an ex-husband, ex-boyfriend, it's maybe an ex-friend even. It's someone that she has been close to at some time in the past that's really angry with her. Because she's, it's almost like with these murders, like someone's trying to hurt her as much as they can. They're Mm -hmm. like trying to eliminate everybody she loves. Wow, yeah. You know? So they're, they're thinking, okay, you know, her mother's been shot in the head two times. Victor has been shot in the head at least once. Probably the neck wound was supposed to be a head wound. And her son. And her son was and targeted. The letters. And yeah. the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they decide to team up and see if they can figure out what's going on. And the first thing is, okay, we got to talk to Kay. We got to figure out, you know, what's going on here. And again, she's a sweetheart. When they interviewed her... She's just, to me, she's probably an S personality, the salt of the earth. You know, just helps everybody.
0: How far or, did Kay live from where his body was found? Victor's.
2: It's a hundred miles away mm-hmm. hmm. from Salisbury. That's where they were supposed to go, wasn't it? No, they lived in the same town. Oh, so, okay. uh So, he must have been taken there, and you naked. know. naked. And naked. So,
1: yeah. Why not do that to shame someone, wouldn't you, to humiliate them? I or not so. leave
2: any evidence behind, you know, uh but they didn't do that with Kay.
1: Unless they had been in our house for multiple times. Sorry the, the mother, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yes, sorry, the mother.
2: Yeah, because yeah. she was shot in the head. Now that one to me, like if you if now it was, you know, winter snow, there might have been boot tracks, things like that. I don't know, they didn't get into that. But if you're just walking in to execute someone and walking out and you're wearing maybe gloves or whatever, there's probably not gonna be any evidence. But if he was kidnapped and taken 100 miles away and executed, like they don't know at this point was he executed somewhere else or there, it looked like his body was placed there, that's what they're assuming at this point, then you wouldn't want fibers. So I'm thinking maybe that's why he didn't have any clothes. You know, if he's taken in his own car, it wouldn't matter. But if he's taken in someone else's car, you would want to strip him down so there's no fibers. So I'm not sure. True. Man, that is smart. Elaborate. Yeah. So to me. That's creepy. It would it could have been a shame thing that could have played a part, or it was an evidence thing. Yeah. So cops sit down with Kay at her kitchen table and they're like, Okay, you, you know, there has to be some enemies. You know, you have to have some enemies somewhere. Or maybe a bad breakup. You know, they, they had to have something. So she said, well, the only recent breakup I've had is with my ex-boyfriend, Elsie Underwood. And, you know, he's been helping her. With the gloves and the tweezers. Yeah. And she Not said it, it was bad, but he was a cop. You know, so to her, there's no way he could be doing this because he's a cop. And then, you know, he loved her. I mean, he told her that he loved her. And, sh- and she said, you know, you don't do those things to people you love. But he disappeared. Elsie Underwood? No, that that was Victor. Victor Victor disappeared. Elsie Underwood is her ex-boyfriend who was a cop. Okay. And uh, so I'm sure you guys are probably figuring out at this point. Because when I was watching it, I'm like, it's the cop. Yeah, the glove and tweezer thing. That was a bit much. It seemed like Sherlock Holmes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like. (laughs) You know, like, ah. But you never know
0: in murder. Mm -hmm. Odd things could be
1: normal. You never know who the suspect is, Mom. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Well, when I'm watching it, you know, and again, this is what sparked the podcast because me being the D personality that I am, it took me like not even a second to be like, oh, it's him. It's him. It's the cop. He did it. Lady, you better wise up here. (laughs) I mean, to me, it's him. And uh, so I really think Elsie Underwood You know, obviously did it. And the cops were like, Elsie Underwood. So Detective Dan, he knew Elsie. And they immediately thought it was him. Wow. Well, they worked in the, I think both of them worked in the same department. And he was a little weird, which we're going to get into in a second. Um, But he didn't like them. You could tell he didn't like them that much when he was talking about it. And the detective
0: so, didn't like him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But but she just dismissed the idea immediately. They're like, well, do you think it could be him? Oh, no. No, no, no. He was a cop. And again, you know, he said he loved me, and you don't do those types of things. You know, so to her, there was just no way. She absolutely dismissed it. There was no way it could be him. So, again, I love law enforcement. I love our, our police. But I don't trust him. I don't trust him at all. Um, my dad, he told me, he said, "Lidlin, if you ever get arrested," I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not planning on it, right?" You know. Right. But he said, "If you ever get arrested, don't say a word except I want a lawyer." I'm like, "Dad," you know. He's like, "Seriously, I want a lawyer." Well, he'd know a little bit about that because he's you know, been in interrogations a couple times. Right. Um, so he would know. He but. I'm like, well, dad, if you're innocent, he goes, no. He said, it doesn't matter if you're innocent. If you're not innocent, you want a lawyer. And, you know, we've had like, you've got, you know, people that were wrongly convicted because they believed in their innocence and they trusted police, but police are human. Yeah. Yes. And, and there's this thing where it's like, if they get you in their focus, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it's almost like they're blind. That's
0: true in a lot of cases.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not
0: all of them, but a lot.
2: Yeah. And I could see that. I mean, again, you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people that can have strong opinions. Um, I don't know how many, you know, crime stories I've heard of where you have people they just knew it was ex boyfriend. They just knew it was whoever. And then DNA proves they, they weren't even a suspect at all. It's true. And I
1: think their position and their authority makes them even more blind.
2: Yeah. And I think it would be hard because when you've got circumstantial evidence that's adding up, you know, it like it seems so convincing at times.
1: And, you know, I've seen several shows where the, the police officers get very emotional about the victims and get involved with the families. So you yeah. want justice for the families, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and the individual.
0: But on some cases, when you request a lawyer, they immediately... Red flags everywhere. Yeah.
2: Well, and I I asked Dad about that because I'm like, Dad, you know, if you request a lawyer, they're going to think you're guilty right off the bat. And he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And uh, and so to me, it's like my advice, if you're innocent and you ever find yourself in trouble, immediately get a lawyer. You know, and if you're not innocent, you probably want to immediately get a lawyer. But get a lawyer and uh, do not talk. The United States Department of Justice defines stalking as a course of conduct directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to fear for his or her safety or the safety of others or suffer substantial emotional distress. If you are being stalked, go to www.justice.gov forward slash O-V as in Victor W forward slash stalking for helpful resources. If you are in immediate danger, call 911. We have more resources on our website at outlineofamurder.com, and the stalking link is in this outlines post. Kay, she describes a breakup, okay? She said that at first, everything seemed perfect in the relationship until about a year before the murders. And this is the incident that she was like, okay, he's not the guy for me. So Elsie, uh, Kay, and her son, Jason, were, they were gonna go on a trip. And they, you know, especially Jason was super excited about it. And Elsie had washed his car that day. And when they were about to leave, it started snowing. And so Jason was in the back seat, and he's like, look, it's snowing, you know, he's excited being a kid. But Elsie flew into a rage. Not he was upset, he was in a rage. And he was like F this and F that and it's F and snowing. I just F and wash my car and I mean he's freaking out. And so then he yelled at Jason and then he told Kay when she like, Hey, wait a minute, he told her to shut the F up.
1: Yeah. That'd be a red flag. That would be um, to move
2: I'm out. <laughs> well, they, were, they didn't even get out of the garage or out of the oh, driveway. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. sitting in, you know. And so she said he spewed out such venom that she decided right then she's going to break up. Okay, so obviously he has issues. Well, after the breakup, so she's at a nice restaurant with another gentleman. She's on a date. It wasn't Victor. It's was a different guy. So they're just enjoying their meal. And Elsie walks in, doesn't say a word, gets a chair, brings it over, sits down, and just starts staring at her. And then looks at him. And then just keeps looking at her. Doesn't say a word. And then she's like, What are you doing here? And he's just staring at her. So the man, you know, like it's obviously creepy. The stranger, he's like, What's going on here? Who is this guy? And he's just sitting there staring. So her date's like, hey, you need to leave. And he just very calmly turned and looked at him and basically said, you better shut up or I'm gonna kill you. Do we know his whereabouts? Well, and she even pointed a finger at him. Wow. And like now, (laughs) so again, I'm like thinking, okay, if I was in this situation, what would I be doing? Because first of all, i would be weird, but with my personality, like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, it would be like, Yelling, venom, you know, I wouldn't be just nicely sitting there. I'd right. be like, Get the hell out of here, you know, and I'd probably be packing, so it'd be like, You know, right? But you know, people like her, she's probably like, This is so weird. And then this guy's like, Man, what have I walked into here? Uh-huh. So, um, then he just kept staring at her a little bit longer, picked up her iced tea and dumped it in her lap, wow, and then walked out.
1: And she called him
0: a year later for help. Mm-hmm. I do know from experience, though, things that people do that are so out of the ordinary, unless you're used to it, you, you don't. Freeze. You just don't know. And you don't understand. And you freeze.
2: Yeah. You don't. I mean, I remember the time that the mess head was following me around in Walmart. And... <laughs> I th- I think the only reason number 1 that I noticed him was because my dad taught me, you know, being on the road with him to always be aware of my surroundings. You know, I'm always looking in my peripheral vision. I am always aware of where I park. I'm always uh I'm always just aware. And sure enough, every aisle I went down, this guy was on that aisle and that alerted my attention. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do here? Because I know meth users can be very paranoid and aggressive. And so I knew or felt I should not turn around and confront him, but I did stop and I stared at him like, I see you. And so I was hoping that would be enough to get him off of my trail, so to speak. So now I'm at the point where, okay, I'm not going to walk out to my car by myself you know, obviously he's following me. And so then I go to the self checkout and I'm trying to alert the man that's there. Hey, this guy's following me. And the guy did the weirdest thing. So I'm at the self checkout and he's on the other side of them and he calls the worker over and says, Oh, I just thought I knew her, you know, something like that. So he's like trying to let the guy know he's not dangerous. Because he's obviously following me, it was really weird. So then I go over to the, the you know the the door guy, um, and I said, "Hey, I'm being followed." And at this point, the guy had walked out in front of me, you know, and and so he goes, "Who?" And I said, "That guy right there." And he was looking through the doors at me right when I said, "That guy." Creepy. And he said, "Okay, uh, you don't need to watch your car alone, right?" <laughs> And he said, like, let me get someone else to help. And I'm like, right. And I'm looking at him like, can you defend me? You know, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And so I felt like, you know, in the movies or in those shows where you got the entourage walking, you know, right. it's like slow motion. <laughs> walking out to my sure. car, you know, and, uh, and he was right by my car. Oh, no. he had seen you go in. Yeah. To be by your car. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like looking at him, you know, so now I'm mad. Now it's like, okay, I may get hurt. I may not make it home. But now you've really, you know, basically pissed me off. So, you know, let's do this. (laughs) Whatever we need to do. And uh, I kept my calm. They got me in my car and I, of course, immediately locked my doors and they watched me drive off. But I think my stance would be more of an aggression. I would be more aggressive. But then, even a few weeks before that, it was at night and I was going home and I heard rustling in the bushes. And I froze. And then when I and it was like slow motion, everything slowed down when I turned around and it was a dog. I almost peed my pants. But in that situation I froze. I'm like, It I does slow down. When you froze everything
0: slow. Yeah. And then you can't hear.
1: So but here's the thing, you froze on the unknown. You had been trained to not freeze to, to individuals like yeah. people that True. are your surroundings and your face.
2: Yeah. And I don't know what would help that, you know, as far as like the times you do freeze, but it is, it's like everything slows down. And I think it's like your body's getting ready for fight or flight, you know, like everything is all of a sudden intensely focused. Yeah. So I think you're right. If you, uh, you know, someone with her personality, he walks in and he's just staring at her and they pours tea in her her lap. To me, it'd be like, oh, I'd be all over. Oh,
1: I would Mm -mm -mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> would be th- a trip. What do you think you would have done? What do you, I mean.
0: I'm not sure. You're yeah. a I peacemaker. Know. I am a peacemaker, but someone that behaves like that, I don't know. It happened to me off. not long ago, and I froze. But other people I can stand up and, I mean.
2: It probably just depends on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And how violent. Yeah. Yeah. How hurt.
0: aggressive.
2: Yeah. You never know. You never know. You don't know. Um, but I think some instances, of my tendency would be like to really fight. In um, other instances, I'd probably, you know, be frozen. <laughs>
1: I would have stood up and been very oh, aggressive. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have too. I, because
1: I would have known him, though.
2: hmm True. hmm Yeah, if you
0: know. Yeah. I'm not sure. If he's a stranger? Yeah. You just don't ever know until you're in the situation. That's true. What you'll do.
2: Well, okay, so the producer at this point asked her why she called him and asked for his help after the craziness that he did.
0: Good question.
2: And she said the fact that he was a police officer made her trust him and that because he loved her, he couldn't have done those things. Mm.
0: I can see that.
2: Yes. So, um, again, this is personality. And, uh, so she was an S personality and the, uh, and Stephen's an S. And so they, um, are the salt of the earth. They will help anybody, um, depending on their mixture, like if they're an SC or an SI, if they're like an SC, like Stephen, they can still have some of that distrust like they they're not going to trust everybody easily but they will dang sure trust people faster than say a c personality or a d like myself i don't trust anybody you know and it's like people people are just going to naturally hurt you even if they don't intend to you know so it's not like i don't like everybody which i used to not but it's more of i don't i don't know you so you know, this is, this is my personal space. Don't get in it. I'm not going to open myself up to you, things like that. So with the S personality, she's going to be accepting. She's going to be very humble. Um, people feeling welcomed and a part of something, uh, tactfulness, diplomatic. That's her. She's, she's going to want people to feel loved. And so she's going to have no grid for someone that thinks, like him. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty trusting though. That your If somebody
0: I, poured anything
2: on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I
0: think that'd make me pretty angry.
2: Well and you're an ID personality. So um, with with Kay, I think she's probably either an S C or an S I. So with your I, you're gonna be, you know, friendly, people are gonna be able to visit with you, things like that. But if you get mad, your D will come up and you'll handle your business. But again, it has to do with the environment. So in Kay's world, people when when she hears the word love, she hears acceptance, protection, trust, and him
0: being a police officer. Yeah, I bet that's a big part.
2: It. I think it was too. So she wasn't convinced the detectives were. They they pretty much felt like they had their suspect and they needed to look deeper into him. There's your suspect. Yep, here he is. I was waiting for. Her. So they do a search warrant, and because the detectives had enough circumstantial evidence to search his home, Detective Paula, it was her jurisdiction, said it was extreme and unbelievable, his house. The guy was crazy. So first, the house was very sterile and cold. There were uh, no, there was no warmth, no family photos, nothing. But then it got creepier. She said it was just creepy because in his kitchen cabinets... Um, all the labels of the cans were facing outward, alphabetized, and symmetrical. Like you could take a ruler and measure between the cans, and they would have been exact. Can you oh. imagine if someone messed
1: with those cans?
2: Oh, now anger. Just to be the devil's advocate, I like my books color like color coded. Yeah. for best design pattern, style. That's pattern
1: purposes, I think. I like mine in alphabetical order. I just like mine to be in, in reach. <laughs> <laughs> and I have multiple. Right? Because I don't know what I want to reach. Well,
2: I'm going to confess here. I do have, like, when I eat m ms I like them to be even. Yeah. I don't want to get to just one. And it's like, what the heck? So I do like even, or if we're going to be odd, let's be odd. But if I'm expecting even, I don't like that odd. Same, oh, same. I got nothing. <laughs> okay. I mean,
1: Dusty and Jade are like that. I have multiple pictures of them grouping colors together as they
2: I use. don't even care about the colors. No, so mine has to, to be even. even. Everything
0: even. has to be even. Yeah.
2: Like even training with Coach Greg, it's like, no, I can't stop at 13. Sorry, I need to do one right. more swing <laughs> to get it to 14. <laughs> okay. But I've been growing as a person. I've been able to stop better. So, so then she goes to his closet I like
1: threes. Now that I think about it, I do like my threes. Okay. This is all over the house. Okay. We're wow. all along. Yes, it is. is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll take you around. It's
0: everywhere. <laughs> you got them there, the living room. I mean, it's. I never noticed this yes, before. Threes. Oh, I'm behind you, Sherry. And we're three. Oh, that must and, be perfect.
2: Yes, I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so then they go in the closet. All his shirts were perfectly spaced on the hangers, and then he had rubber bands on the top of his shoes. You know those little tassels on your dress shoes? Yeah. Yeah. So all of his shoes were the same, and he had rubber bands on each one to keep the tassels in place. So then they go to his car. The engine compartment did not have a speck of dust. Wow. And this worried them, because if he was OCD about mm-hmm. his environment, then it was pretty much a guarantee that if he did commit this crime, there would be no evidence right. whatsoever. So they did find, however, a shoe print on the trunk lid. Oh. Yep, so there's a shoe print. They almost missed it. Wow, to think, to look there. Yeah, so that he he missed that when he cleaned the car. So obviously at this point we know who did it. They took the tr- trunk mat uh, for testing. They send it to forensic testing. In the meantime, Detective Dan's worried because if Elsie Underwood is the one that's doing all of this, then Kay is in danger mm-hmm. and so is his son. And what's stopping him from killing both of them, especially the fact that he knows they did a search warrant. So he decided to call him and he wanted... Um, he wanted to try to get him frazzled mm-hmm. to where maybe he would threaten him uh, and then they could arrest him and get him off the street. So hopefully this plays okay. Uh, let me go ahead and start this and let's see what he says.
0: And I tried to prompt him into saying things about what had happened. Hello, LC. This is Don Gale with the
2: State Bureau Investigation. I'm going to tell you something, Don Gale. Zero out of 60 in two seconds. 30. Yeah. You're going
1: to quit spreading f- lies and rumors that you've been spreading
2: around about me. I'm tired of it. They take you f- no more, Don. I knew him before this ever happened. He and I was him. the enemy all of a sudden. Wow. Yeah. So he immediately, um, and you know, people with OCD, it's like a, it's a, um, a comfort thing, you know, it's uh you're trying to control your circumstances yeah. by everything being, you know, in order. And so now his whole world is getting wrecked.
0: Narcissists try to control also. Right. It's like sleeping
1: with the enemy. That whole, I want to see when that movie was made because this really reminds me of that. Like that's how she knew that she had been found. She opened her cabinets and the everything were was... I wonder were if it's changed. based
2: off of this or maybe they heard about this case. It might be. Interesting. Okay, so Detective Paula called what happened next divine intervention. Um, the forensic team was having a rough time finding any evidence to tie him to Victor or Catherine's murder. But when they were folding the map back up to send it um, back, the lab tech saw some hairs he had missed. Wow. So he got the hairs. or were 15 in total, and they belonged to Victor. Aww. They Aww. had them. Now, this is the first case... In North Carolina that use mitochondrial DNA as evidence. So um, I got a quote here that says this is mitochondrial mitochondrial DNA is a small circular chromosome found inside the mitochondria. And there's a uh, little organelle, organelles they call them, that's found in the cells. They're called the powerhouse cell of it. And so it's passed exclusively from the mother to the offspring. So they were able to to get him. So at this point, they arrest him, and they bring him in for an interrogation, and Detective Paula is the one that conducted it.
0: Arrest him for the murder of, fic- victor. of victor. Yeah, because they couldn't
2: find any evidence for Catherine. To connect him with Catherine. Yeah. And so they get her in here, and she said it was very unnerving because uh, there was nothing behind his eyes, and he was like a mannequin. He didn't say a word. He just sat there. And so finally, when she confronted him, saying that um, she knows he killed Victor, all he said is, well, and that was it. Never confessed, said nothing. So they believe that he probably showed up at Victor's apartment in his uniform, somehow got him in his trunk, took him to a remote area, shot him twice in the head, and left. And this was three days after he killed Kay's mother. Catherine. So um, he was convicted in 1997 of Victor's murder, sentenced to life in prison. He was never charged for Catherine's because they could never tie him to it. And he was going to die in prison anyway. Do they know why he
0: killed Victor?
2: To get back at her. To get back at Kay. And my question is, why Why did Kay trigger him? You know what I mean? Like, that's why, out of all the people he's dated, why was it Kay. Where he went off the deep end, you know? Well, she seems like a sweetheart. Yeah.
1: He may not have wanted to lose
2: her. Maybe. Yeah. So he died in 2018 in prison. And um, Detective Paula called Kay Christmas Day and let her know that he was dead. Now, what's sad is even though Jason said it wasn't his mom's fault, it was apparent that he felt she contributed to all that happened. It was it was really sad that's because sad. when they recorded the, the um, uh, dead of winter um, that I just played that clip from, um, you could tell he was still greatly impacted and they had not hardly talked since then. So we're, it's like nineteen ninety seven, really? yeah, wow. and or nineteen ninety four when all this happened. So um, Kay said that she lives with deep regret for the division between her and her son, and I think that's why it's so important to understand personalities. You know, it's just important because Kay's personality is one that believes in the best and the goodness of man, mankind. And I think that if her son maybe understood how she processes and thinks, it's not like she asked to be that person I saw. That's just who she is.
0: Or maybe there's a little more to it. Maybe.
2: Um I mean, she did end things with him. What else was she to do?
1: Right. You don't know.
2: But then we also are dealing with the fact that he was a teenager and his enti- the rest of his childhood was ruined. Yeah. You know, it was such a great trauma to go through and the fear he felt. So as a teenager, he's not going to be thinking clearly. And people think that once you're an adult, those things go away. They don't. You still think at that age because that's where the trauma was cemented. And he might have watched
0: his mother's trauma. Yeah. Because of it. Yeah. And, like, development-wise, since
1: he had that situation as a teenager, he's still reacting as a teenager Mm -hmm. to... I mean, I know I did. I know my, my teenagers did, too. They blamed me yeah. for things, and it was hard to get out of that mindset right.
2: until you process yeah. and you deal with it. yeah. Now, uh, what's neat is they did start talking, and she's okay. hoping to rebuild that relationship. So this is Elsie Underwood right here. And what stands out to me is he just looks arrogant.
1: Yeah, but they look similar. Mm-hmm. They do.
2: Yeah. Now, he destroyed all of her relationships even he did. with her son. That's he did. so sad. He did. And this isn't all of the story to Kay. Um, we're going to go deeper into our after the show uh, combo, which you can check out at outlineovermurder.com. But um, Victor's role in the assassination of Olaf Palme, a Swedish prime minister, is very interesting. So um, if listeners want to Hear about that they're gonna have to subscribe to um, our after the show combo but the motive police believe that Underwood killed Victor and Catherine to create havoc in her life so she she'd go running back down which she did which yeah she did she called him yeah and uh personally I believe Kay's rejection of Underwood was probably more than he could handle you know it's he was such yeah. a narcissist he just couldn't handle it and it makes me wonder if maybe he cut off relationships with people himself before yeah. and maybe she was the first one that ever broke it off with him. Yep. I don't know or maybe he never had a girlfriend cuz he's obviously a freak. Um now he well I don't he was divorced three times before. What about so, his family? Um it never talked about the family. Uh he did have a history though of stalking his ex-wives. Wow. So again it's like why did she push him over? Maybe he just couldn't handle one more, you know? Maybe he couldn't handle it. Now, I don't like excusing killers, but that's a really good question because I do think it's important to look at possible triggers. And so I did look a little bit into his background. Um, There wasn't much, but he did live in a children's home from the age of three until he was 18. Whoa. Yeah. So that's probably why he was such a control freak. Can you imagine the chaos, the rejection of no parents, whether they died or let, like gave him away. I don't know, you don't own things, either. yeah, yeah, nothing's yours. So I think it did contribute. It's not excusing him, yeah. but it probably did create you know patterns, and he knows nothing about his parents at all. And I couldn't find any information. yeah. And then some reports and court records describe Kay as Underwood's fiance. So that means they were pretty serious. so that if they were engaged, and then she broke it off. That would have been even worse. So, um, but like I said, he died in prison December 23rd, 2018 at the age of 67. Never charged with Catherine's. And That's he never early. confessed. Never confessed. Anything. Mm-mm. No, he denied that he did anything until he died. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a control thing. True. Mm. Yeah. So this is a story that kicked it off, you know, because to me, it was like, how can Kay call this guy after he dumped tea in her lap and and went on that rage over it snowing? And then also some uh, of my research indicated that he was also like she, the night her and Victor parted, they saw him drive by.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. So
2: that was a year later.
1: Yeah. A year later. And I'm wondering if the dates are similar.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe triggered. So anyway. Some women and men think though, when someone gets that angry, the tea and the Mm -hmm. anger, that somehow it's their fault.
2: Yes. And she didn't talk about that. It didn't seem like she thought that at all. Um, But you're very right. Right. I mean, some women think, well, if I didn't make them mad or if, you know, and I think people also don't recognize the seriousness of that type of behavior. You know, it's amazing how you can have situations where you've got a stalker, whether female or male, and it may start with, you know, angry phone calls, angry texts, um, key in your car. And most people might dismiss that like, oh, she's crazy or he's crazy. It's no big deal. And then they end up trying to kill somebody or they do. So it's those are serious things that need to be taken seriously. And if you're a trusting person, don't dismiss those things have a record you know
0: have a red flags don't ever dismiss red flags and
2: trust your gut if you're you know if your gut's telling you something's wrong trust it and if you get threatening letters
1: give them to the police
2: and that's what i mean by have a record you know it's Mm -hmm. like um you've got a record of the threatening letters you have a record of the police report of being harassed by an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend you know creating that record. Mm -hmm. If God forbid, anything should happen, there's a record. Yeah. So it, it, those are really important things. And I don't know if it's, again, people, they're afraid maybe they'll, they'll sound paranoid. You know, it doesn't matter. Even if cops treat you as it's no big deal, do it anyway.
1: And you don't want to be wrong. I remember being in a situation very young. I mean, it can ruin their lives. If it can wrong. it can ruin
0: a person's life if you're wrong.
2: Yeah. So that's the first case. Okay. Now let's transition to a fun topic. Okay, so, go ahead. So, <laughs> mom's ready. So it's <laughs> like this. So Sunday, right, is taco
0: day, which we only do
2: when the girls are in town. I guess. I mean, the way Steven's been throwing out texts that y'all are having them without us here. that's not true
0: but nobody believes him so right yeah
2: (laughs) now of course we know how important tacos are to Elena because you know like a quarterback (sighs) she you know Push Stephen into the refrigerator yeah. one time. That's a true story. Yes. It is, I, it I is. don't believe
0: it. She because blacked out. Because you don't out. remember. You blacked out. <laughs> we have a <laughs> room full of
1: witnesses. That are all in cahoots. <laughs> no. Yes, that's I, mean, I it, would remember that. Maybe no. he just tripped and then y'all no. thought it no. would be. He y'all hit. can't
0: assume. No. The wall.
1: I, I I know, it. Supposedly it's a refrigerator. It's so a refrigerator. One. Oh, so, you're going to
0: correct her? I oh, saw go. Yeah, your, well, no, the see.
2: refrigerator's right next to that little wall. It was like right into the refrigerator. He was like, well, excuse me. And I think it's because he was going to go to the tacos first. But as soon no. as tacos were mentioned, you jumped up, took off like a linebacker, shoved you him out of the him. way. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: the refrigerator. <laughs> he,
0: knowing him, he was probably going in there to make sure everything was okay, because he never eats before. Right. Everybody Sometimes else, he
1: just doesn't even eat.
0: But now he knows yeah. to stay in the the living room, and he does. And, and so then we alert him. <laughs>
1: I know. There's like a whole crowd. I look because back as <laughs> <'cause> I'm <laughs> getting my tacos, like far in the dining room. But they're just tacos. They are I not know. just tacos, Stephen.
2: So, we're going to take it to a whole new level this Sunday. Who had the idea? Was it you?
1: I think I had the shirt idea, but Steven spawned it by the taco
2: plates. Oh, plate. yes. He the got plate taco plates. And, it grew from there. and then Elena's like, hey, we need to have taco shirts. Yes. So, we each bought <laughs> or had made taco shirts that are a big surprise I cannot wait to unveil them um, Sunday and I, I I want a picture I'll, and I'll, the and the husbands and the yes, grandkids everybody yes. and has, great
0: grandbaby yeah
2: yes yeah. yeah everybody taco has shirts. taco shirts speaking of the great <laughs> and nobody baby. knows what I'm her best friend
1: oh oh I told her Aunt Sherry was good I thought you got news in. we're friends and it <laughs> got so exciting. It. So around.
2: I'm yes. looking forward to that. But yes, tacos, do not mess with the tacos. I kind of remember one time when you allowed Dusty to take over the cooking of oh, the shells. I don't uh, think I allowed. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> I think yes. You never did it again because no. I had to say something.
2: Now, I quiet. hope that I've done okay with the taco frying. I try to get yours softer than others, but if, you know. So I will be doing the taco shells this taco Sunday. Taco shirts,
0: good food.
2: Yeah, wow. family. Yes. What's better
0: than Table. That?
2: nothing? All right. Well, I think it's our tag tag time. So, uh, Eleni, you had a panicked face. So this is going to be My our boy. tag each time. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you need a note? Do, do we need a
1: sticky notes? No. All right. Go okay. ahead. Be smart. Be rude. And don't
2: be a victim. Outline of a murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <coughs> our greatest source of information for this episode is Dead of Winter, Season Two, Episode Two, Cold Blue. Also, the WatagaDemocrat.com, court records, Murderpedia.com, and Forensic Files Now. And also, all of our sound effects are from Freesound.org.